So in two weeks, we plan, and plans do change, but we plan to get back into Abraham. And our passage in two weeks is going to be the last half of chapter 18 of Genesis. I want to read Genesis 18, 19 and start there with you today. For I have chosen him, that is Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So, so it is God's plan for Abraham and his family, and, and we are of the family of, of the faith of Abraham, so we are his descendants as we've learned. And we are to keep the way of the Lord by what? By doing righteousness and justice. And Genesis 18, 19 says that, we are to, that Abraham and, and us, or his children, are to do this so that we will receive what has been promised to us. So justice has been in the news a lot, and injustice has been in the news a lot. We live in a nation where hundreds of thousands of babies, maybe millions of babies, I I can't say for sure, are murdered every year before they take their first breath. We live in a nation where people call wrong things right and right things wrong. We live... In a nation where a man is arrested and a knee is placed on his neck, and for four and a half minutes he is saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and a number of other things. And eventually he stops protesting, he stops showing sign, he stops showing any sign of consciousness. And the knee remains on his neck for four more minutes. I watched the video this week. Have you watched the entire video? I understand why people are upset. I can only think of one time in my entire life that I have cried more than what I did this week watching that video. Only one time, at least in my adult life, that I've cried more than what I cried as I watched that video. We live in a land where many think that the right way to respond to something like that is to break the law and to destroy things that don't belong to you. We live in a land where, in the name of justice, we do things that are unjust. When I say we, I'm speaking generally of a large group of number of Americans. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody or including any of you in that. But it's, it's frustrating, upsetting, and interesting to me that when there's injustice, that we, when there's sin, we so often, as an American people, think it's okay to respond with more sin. It is unjust to burn down a building that does not belong to you. It is unjust to steal things that are not yours. It is unjust to cause bodily harm or death to anyone at any time. So we live in a land with a lot of injustice. And what God is calling us to, as we read these verses today, is not the form of social justice that is being advocated for and called for in academia and in universities 
and in the ivory towers and the the elite temples of our nation. It is not the form of social justice that 90% of our news uh, media wants us to embrace. Biblical justice does not label certain groups of people evil because of their economic status or their level of privilege. Biblical justice does not advocate for taking resources and wealth that someone worked hard for and redistributing it to people who didn't work for it. That's called stealing. And God's law condemns it. Today we will turn to the Old Testament prophet Micah, chapter 6. If you got the Blue Bible, it's page 868. And we are going to see what God requires of us. Before we get to chapter 6, though, we're going to, I want to share a little bit with you about what's happening. Uh, it's uh, page 868, uh, which is really weird because it's verses 668. Six, That's confusing. Page 868. So this was written. Micah lived, let me say it like this. Micah lived the same time that the prophet Isaiah did. Isaiah wrote a much longer prophecy in the Bible. It, this was about 700, 750 years before Jesus lived. So we're going back 2,700, 2,800 years ago. And at the time, God's people, there was a kingdom, but it had recently been split into two kingdoms. There was a northern kingdom, it was known as Israel. There was a southern kingdom, it was known as Judah. And Micah and Isaiah were both mostly speaking the thoughts and the words of God to the people in that southern kingdom. And what was going on in the southern kingdom is not unlike what takes place in our nation every day and what takes place in our nation for decades, really. You know, this isn't just a George Floyd thing, okay? There's been injustice for a very long time. So these prophets spoke regularly on God's behalf in the midst of injustice. So I'm going to read from Micah 2, verses 1 and 2. These are on your sheet. Micah writes, What sorrow awaits you who lie awake at night thinking up evil plans? You rise at dawn and hurry to carry them out, simply because you have the power to do so. When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man of his property, stealing his family's inheritance. Micah's condemning that activity. These people are powerful. We see that at the end of verse 1. And when these people want it, they take it, and it is theft, it is fraud, it is violence, it is cheating, it is stealing. We get to Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I said, listen, you leaders of Israel. Okay, now he's speaking to leaders. He's speaking to powerful people. Not that the have-nots of the society and the, those who don't have authority or power, not that they are not guilty of injustice, but in these verses we're talking about the powerful. We're talking about leaders. We're talking about people with influence. Listen, you leaders of Israel, you are supposed to know right from wrong. But you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. You skin my people alive. And I, don't, I can't tell you precisely what he means by this. I'm sure it's, it's, it, it, it 
I'm certain it has a figurative meaning and may have a literal meaning. You skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. Yes, you eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones. You chop them up like meat for the cooking pot. And then you beg the Lord for help in times of trouble. Do you really expect him to answer? After all the evil you have done, he won't even look at you. So you're doing all these awful things. And then Sunday morning you show up to church and want to lift your hands and say hallelujah and have some bread, have some juice and act like you and God are buddies. <laughs> no, we don't get to live that way. We go to Micah 3 verse 9. Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. So here we have powerful people building a big city. Through extortion, through corruption, through bribery, as we're going to see in a minute. Verse 10, you are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's law only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Even the religious leaders had been bought out. Instead of being motivated by the love of God, they are now pursuing the love of money. Yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. No harm can come to us, you say, for the Lord is here among us. We know this happens in our world today. We've been personally affected by this, or we know someone who has been personally affected by this type of evil. And then we get to Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Alright, so here in these two verses we have four questions. They're probably rhetorical in nature, not expecting an answer. It kind of sounds like what all the leaders that we just read about in chapters 2 and 3 might ask. God, what do you want? God, I love you. What do you want? God, I, I, I know I do this constantly, and I know I do that constantly, and I have no intention of stopping, but what can I do to get you off my back? God, I know that I am destroying families. I know that... I am stealing money from people and sweeping it under the rug. I know I'm fudging the numbers. But God, it's Sunday and I really want to feel good about myself. What can I do to keep living this way but not go to hell? People think this way. People you know think this way. People who are close to you may think this way. Verse 8, I love it. He has told you, O man, what is good. It's like Micah saying, stop pretending that you want to love God. Stop pretending that you care what He thinks. He has already told you what He said. He has already told you what He wants. I know some children who... In my house, this is generally younger than what they are. But I think every child, including me, goes through this phase 
where we think, if mommy and daddy doesn't give me the answer to the question that I ask, well, I'll just go ask them again. Maybe I'll wear them out, or maybe I can even pit mom against dad or dad against mom. You know, we ask the same questions over and over again because we don't like the answer. Because we don't like what our authority, in a child's case, our mom and dad, would have to say. It's no different than what's going on in this passage. He has told you, O man, what is good. And let me issue a warning to each of you here today. We look at the Bible every week for a reason because you need to know what God wants for you. Don't fall asleep. Don't drift off. Take this stuff seriously. Because there's going to come a day where you're going to need to know what to do. And you might not know, but you've had the opportunity to hear it before. So, Study the Bible. That's what God says to us. Enjoy it. Love it. Dig into it. Find somebody to study with you and teach you. So that you can grow in it. The words of God are so precious, church family. And these leaders are pretending like they know what God says. And Mike is saying in verse 8, He has already told you what is good. He's already told you what the Lord requires. So He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do three things. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We're going to look at these three ideas at the end of verse 8. What does it mean to do justice? What does it mean to love kindness? What does it mean to walk humbly with your God? Justice. This Hebrew word appears over 400 times in the New Testament. There are a couple of other words. Uh, Well, this word is mishpat. Everyone say mishpat. All right. There's a few other words that mean justice. You know, they have different nuances, things like that. I'd like us to look at how God uses this in his word. Now, I don't think I put this on your sheet, but in Deuteronomy 18.3, God is like setting things up in the temple or the tabernacle at that time. And he's telling people how he wants to be worshipped. And he's setting up the Old Testament priesthood. And in Deuteronomy 18.3, he says, you know, the, the priests are going to... Take your sacrifices, they're going to prepare them, they're going to offer them. And part of the sacrifices is going to be the priest's mishpat. It's going to be their due. It's going to be for them to eat. It's going to be what they've earned or what they deserve for their service as priests. It was really, it was just God's plan for providing for their physical needs of nourishment. So God says, give the priests their mishpat. Give them what is due to them. He was telling the Jewish nation how to care for their religious leaders. So in the Old Testament, so I I say that, that's one way the word is used. And this will be the main way we look at the word today. It is justice means giving people what is due to them. In the Old Testament, this word is also used for acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. Justice is giving people their due, their mishpat. Should the innocent go free in a court of law? Yes. Should the guilty be punished in a court of law? Yes. Should justice be present in courts of law? Yes. 
It should ensure that people have fair trials that determine their guilt and innocence. That thought is all over the Bible. Very important. But Mishpat goes beyond just what happens in the court and with criminals. Mishpat, justice, affects how I think about my children. It affects how I think about refugees and foreigners, homeless, prisoners, people who are sick, people who've made bad choices in life, people who haven't been born yet. Yes, I did say people who haven't been born yet. They are people. The moment of conception, they are a person. And they have just as much right to live as every single one of us. Mishpat has implications for so many things. Let me ask you. Someone who was born in North Korea, one of the most oppressive nations in our land, in the world. Are they made in the image of God like us? And they are precious to God. Do they deserve food? Are they in... Entitled for the offer, and I don't like the word, way the word entitled is used so often in our culture, but at times it's appropriate to use it. Are they entitled for the opportunity to work for a fair wage? Should they have the opportunity to believe what they want to believe and worship how they want to worship as we do? If they are accused of crime, should they be given the opportunity to be tried in a court of law fairly? I would say yes. But these basic things that God's word calls for in so many ways are commonly denied millions and probably billions of people in the oppressive nations that are on our planet. I'll ask these obvious questions. Does one person deserve more than another person because the color of their skin is different? No. Is it right to treat individuals from one race differently than you would treat an individual from a different race just because of their race? No. Is it right to say, well, I know some Asians like that, so all those Asians must be that way? Of course not. Let's look at how Mishpat requires us to live. These are on your sheet. Deuteronomy 16. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. That just means favoritism. You shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving. Do you see here that justice is attached to a promise again as it was with Abraham in Genesis 19, the very first passage we looked at? We go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, that means the stranger or the the wanderer. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. 
God is giving his people the law. They had been alive in Egypt in slavery. They were strangers there. It was not their homeland. And there are people in Gates County in our nation today that are not in their home nation. And God was telling them, remember where you came from. And I believe it would be right to go ahead and say that to remind us that I think let me say it like this. I'd like to remind us that none of us had a choice where we were born. I was born in Gates County. Well, Franklin, I think. But I was here a day or two later. That wasn't my choice. And when we realize that, it, it humbles us. Proverbs 31. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. So justice would require us at times to open our mouth and to defend people. That means that that I'd be careful how I use the word fighting. But some fights are worth fighting. But don't break the law when you do it. Isaiah chapter 1. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Correct oppression. Don't run over that quickly. There's oppression existent in our world today. And there are dozens of other verses that sound almost identical to these four that I could point you to. But justice is not just an Old Testament thing. Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of his day. In Luke 11, he says, you tithe mint and rue and every herb and you neglect justice and the love of God. So you got your little religious checklist. You're doing all your activities. You you, you put your your 10 percent or your. 10 bucks or your $200 or whatever it is that you've chosen to give, you put that there. But yet, you neglect two things, the love of God and justice. He, he puts justice up there with the love of God. I believe it's important. We go to James chapter 5. We see more injustice. Behold, and James was Jesus' little brother. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Let me say this. This is not a condemnation of the rich. It says you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. There are a group of people out there that want you to feel guilty if you are a person of wealth. Being wealthy is not a sin. You can live and handle your wealth in a way that honors God. But there are people in this world, and there are people that I've heard on the press, that speak that. And that's not what God is saying. How you handle your wealth could cause you to be unjust. But just because you have money 
or possessions or property does not make you automatically just. The, the media, I'm hearing it, they want you to feel bad because you have a savings account. That is not evil. What's evil in James chapter 5 is that the boss man isn't paying his people their due. Mishpat. What is due to them? What is it that they should have? And in this case, those people worked for that money. You agreed to pay them a certain wage before they worked. And now that they've worked it, give it to them. So we see justice all throughout the Bible. This idea hit home for me in February. Um, I took a three and a half day trip to Tampa. I left Sunday afternoon. I was back by dinner Wednesday evening. It was crazy and wonderful. I stayed at an Airbnb. I met the owner of the home. His name was Dagon. He was probably four or five years older than me, something like that. As soon as I saw him and heard his voice, I knew he wasn't born in the U.S. Um, he, as a child in the 80s and 90s, he grew up in Bosnia, in Eastern Europe. Bosnia was not a good place to be at that time. I'm not sure of its current situation. His parents wanted him to have a better way of life than what they had. His parents were not able to create their own business and work for the standard of living that they wanted to have. Governments would shut it down, he said. And, and there was just one thing after another. He wasn't playing the self-pity card. He was just telling me. I, he was telling me this because I was asking him. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he was actually, I think he said he was 10 or 11 when he moved to the U.S. And now he's a business owner. He's had a few businesses, and some of them failed bad, he said. But his current business is doing pretty darn good. And he probably works 20 hours a day, seven days a week. It kind of seemed like that type. But he, is, he expressed great gratitude that he has a chance to work and earn money for himself. And the life that he has is not a life of living under oppression as his parents had. And he was so grateful for that. His parents worked so hard to give their children something different, and he received that. But that's just one example of injustice in our world. So moving on, what does the Lord require of you but to love kindness? If you're familiar with the King James Bible, this is usually translated loving kindness. Loving dash kindness. You're familiar with it if you have read your King James Bible. It's often translated mercy. It has to do with loyalty and service that you give to people that they don't always deserve. The pro- uh, not the, I was about to say the prophet, the prostitute, <laughs> Rahab, Joshua chapter 2. The good story, go back and read it, Joshua 2. She, well, well, Israelites, she was living in the promised land, and the Israelites were supposed to come in and destroy it. That's what God wanted them to do, and he had good reasons for doing that. Well, they sent some spies in, and 
Rahab hosted them. And then some people came looking for them and she hid them. She was kind to them. This is what it means to love kindness. She could have turned them over, but she protected them. And she didn't have to. In Joshua 2.12, she says to the spies after she protected them, she says, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. So we see that word kindness in there twice. Just as I have dealt kindly with you. Just as I have done something for you that I didn't have to do. So I want you to do something for me that you don't have to do. So God is telling us not only to do justice, but to love kindness. So let me ask you this. Do you live your life saying... Well, he ain't done nothing for me, so I ain't doing nothing for him. Or can you be like this prostitute? Yes, I did say that. And offer people kindness when they don't deserve it. We also see this word kindness applied to God in Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Here, kindness is translated steadfast love. We're going to look more at that word steadfast next week. Moving on in verse 8. What does the Lord require of you but to walk humbly with your God? Humility requires us to realize that all that we have is from God. Our salvation, our shoelaces, everything in between. Humility removes all boasting. What do you have that he didn't give you? Humility requires that all that we have is from God. It came from God and it does not belong to us indefinitely. Humility requires us to know that nothing we currently have belongs to us. And what I mean by, well, I just said that. Never mind. What I mean by that is we don't hold on to anything permanently. We are managers or stewards only for a time. Humility, and now I'm going to speak to the popular notion in media. Humility requires us not to demand wealth and goods from others. Humility requires us not to oppress the haves for the haves-nots. Justice, kindness, and humility works both ways. And our media wants you to know that it only works one way. And I tell you today on the authority of God's word, They are wrong. They are wrong. I think about the prophet Jonah. He preached to Assyria a five-word sermon, and they repented. And he pouted, and he moped. There was no kindness there. There was no humility there. All he could think about was all the evil that they had done before he preached to them. He wasn't rejoicing that God was being glorified by their repentance. He was just aggravated that they weren't on their way to hell. Jonah's a strange prophet. Doing justice is very much a call to advocacy. 
But this advocacy does not look like the advocacy that we pop regularly and popularly see in our world today. Some of the details aren't clear to me yet as far as the best way to advocate and stuff like that. But I know based on Proverbs 31 that we read earlier and other verses that we must be a voice for those who don't have a voice. We must be a defender for those who cannot defend themselves. So four things I want to... Yeah, four things I do want to say that I know that we are to do. When you have the power to change something that needs to be changed, do it. That'll look one way for one of you and a a slightly different way for somebody else. And you've got to figure out what that looks like for you. Last summer, we learned in 1 John 3, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If you have the power to change something that's evil, then do it. If there's a burning, passionate desire in your heart, to do something significant that you know the Lord wants you to do. I want to tell you, if there's a social cause, if there's something that exists in our land today that is very upsetting to you, and you want to fight, just go for it. My pastor friend, Donnie Griggs in Moorhead City, um, their church mission statement is... uh, Well, I don't remember the whole thing, but part of it is push back the darkness. That's part of it. Push back the darkness. If God is calling you to push back the darkness in your neighborhood or in our nation, and there's something specific, I tell you, go for it. A second way that we can do advocacy, if laws are proposed that will make it harder for people to get out of poverty or to just have life or to just have basic rights, we should oppose that law. And part of that would be opposing laws that steal from some to give to others. True charity is charity that is willing, not enforced. Number three, when we see people being treated wrongly, we speak up for them. There were about a dozen bystanders in Minneapolis two weeks ago yelling. Trying, some were yelling, some were hostile, others were calm and logical and clear. They were taking turns. If you see people being treated wrongly who can't speak for themselves, then we speak for them. The fourth thing, and this is very specific... We need to do whatever we can to defend an unborn child's right to life. And I just don't understand how people who rightly say what happened to George Floyd was wrong can can constantly promote abortion. George Floyd likely had siblings that were aborted, if you look at the statistics. Here's what's beautiful about Jesus. Here's what's beautiful about the gospel. Here's the good news in the midst of the awful things that are happening in our world today. Jesus, 
who is God incarnate, God in the flesh. He did all of these things perfectly every single time. Every single time. In Matthew 11, when John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. Go and tell John the Baptist what I'm doing. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In Luke 4 he says, and, and this was a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the Lord's favor. Jesus, he was all about mishpat. He was all about justice. And there will be a day when God will distribute justice Completely. I'm looking forward to that day. Romans 2, it's on your sheet. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and immortality. I'm sorry, an honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Notice God doesn't play favoritism. Verse 10. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. These verses aren't saying that we get saved by our good works. It's saying that those good works are the evidence. That the judge looks at on Judgment Day. There's verses in several other places that say the same thing. On Judgment Day, God judges us according to what we have done. Now the only way we can do what is right is through Jesus. If you haven't believed the gospel, you can't do this stuff because you don't have the power of God inside of you to do it. And you're still dead in your sins. We don't merit or earn our salvation and forgiveness of sins by doing these good things. But we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He saves us. And then this becomes who we are. And these good deeds are the evidence that I belong to Jesus. Here's the good news. More good news. Jesus, while He was not guilty of anything. He chose to become guilty. He was not the criminal. But he willingly decided to become the criminal. We are the lawbreakers. And Jesus, by his death, by his broken body, his blood poured out on that hill, He suffered the wrath and the anger of Almighty God against sin. So He justified us 
He declares us righteous. He makes us not guilty. But he didn't just sweep justice under the rug. He didn't just say your sins don't have to be punished. He said, no, I will take your punishment. I want all of you to know that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. I want all of you to know that he is saying, come to me. I want all of you to know that he's the only way to God. I want you to know his death on the cross. He died to glorify God and he died because he loves you. And he welcomes us. And he calls us to live like he did. A life of justice, a life of kindness, a life of perfect humility. Let's pray. Great God, I thank you for these words. I ask, oh God, that you may propel us to action. I don't know the specifics of that, God. Lord, we're slow. I'm, I'm slow. Let me speak for myself. I'm slow sometimes, God, if there's anything specific you want from me or from us. Would you tell me? Would you tell others? God, many of us, I believe, are open to whatever you have. So may we be about the work of biblical, God-glorifying justice as you have defined it in your word. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. Thank you for becoming the criminal. Thank you, God, for saving us from our sin. Thank you for the bread and for the cup. It's in your name we pray. Amen.